Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live with Dr. David Wilson, we continue our Sermon on the Mount study series. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. But what is the biblical concept of mercy? Turn your Bible to Matthew 5-7 as we learn how mercy is received, reflected, and rebounded back to us in the boomerang beatitude from Pastor David Wilson. Matthew chapter 5, I want to begin reading in verse 3 to keep the continuity of the Beatitudes, to keep it in context. Jesus opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask you to help us as we have received mercy to let it flow out to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A man went to have his photograph made. He went back to see all the proofs. He didn't like them. He told the photographer, these pictures don't do me justice. The photographer said, you don't need justice. You need mercy. We're going to talk about mercy today. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but the Beatitudes can be broken down into two groups. The first four deal with our relationship to God. We are poor in spirit. We're bankrupt. There's nothing that we have on our own that can get us to God. We we are poor in spirit. We, we come, and he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's alone, because when you come realizing you cannot earn your way to salvation, only God can give it. That's the only way to be saved. And because of our sin, it causes us to mourn. And in our mourning, when we realize how short we are when it comes to God and his holiness, he comes to us and comforts us because he says, I still love you. I'll forgive you. And then because we have come poor in spirit and we mourn, then we realize that we give control of our life to him. That's what meekness is. It's not weakness. It means I'm under the control of the Lord. And then as a result of that, I'm hungry. I'm hungry not only for the righteousness that God has filled me with. I want more and more of that. I want to be more with God's people. I want more of God's word. I want more of his righteousness in my life. And so you see how that makes us right with God because he does it all. Amen? That's two points. (laughs) I'm looking for a three-point shot every now and then. That would be, woo, yes! Because I know y'all did that in front of that television yesterday. 
And now we look at the relationship with other people. Because I want to tell you something. When you commit your life to Jesus and he changes your life, other people are going to know because it changes your relationship with other people. You don't stay the same. Now, I'm going to tell you this, this message today is going to be real uncomfortable for a lot of people. And the reason is because they're going to, so it's going to be something that they struggle with. You see, when Jesus turns our focus to the second four, he begins with what I call the law of direct return or the boomerang blessing because he says, you'll be happy many times over when you show mercy to others because mercy's been shown to you. Now, the day in which Jesus lived was not characterized by mercy. In fact, the, the religious, the legalists, the Jewish religionists were not inclined to show mercy because it's not characteristic of somebody who's proud or self-righteous. It's not characteristic of those who were judgmental. And to most people, mercy was something that you gave to those who gave to you, kind of like love. I'll love somebody if they love me. To the Romans, mercy was shown as weakness. You couldn't really be a real man if you showed mercy. You didn't have what it took to be a real Roman if you showed mercy. And so the day that Jesus began to say, blessed are the merciful, it would have been a shock to a lot of people because they didn't live in that time. And you know what? It reflects the basic selfish nature of fallen man when we say, don't look out for others, look out for yourself. That's the kind of world that we live in today. However, the followers of Christ are not that way. So with that in mind, I want us to think about this boomerang beatitudes, what I call it. First, I want us to talk about the mercy received by us, the downward flow from God to you and me. And one of the first things that I want you to understand about mercy and that we need to understand is that it is available to everyone. Those of you who are in the venue, those of you who are watching online, those of you who might be seeing this on television, you need to understand that in your miserable life and in your misery and in your hurting and in your wondering if anyone cares, mercy from God is available to everyone. He'll come to you. He already has come to you. You see, God who cares about us offers us mercy and kindness. What is mercy? Let's talk about the principle of mercy. The Greek word is elios, kindness, or goodwill toward the hurting and the needy. And you join that with the desire to help them. It's not just a feeling. You know, I, I feel mercy. No, mercy is more than a feeling. It's more than an attitude. It's action also included with it. You haven't really shown mercy until you have stooped to try to help the hurting person. You see, God didn't just feel sorry for us. He didn't say, well, you blew it. You've sinned. You're separated from me. You'll spend eternity in hell and outer darkness. He didn't just say, I feel sorry for you. No, he put in action a way to help us in our misery. You see, mercy is an action, not a reaction. Mercy includes basically several elements. I didn't write this down. I see the need. I am moved by the need. I move to meet the need. 
In other words, I see the need, I recognize it. My motivation is I'm moved by what I see, and then I move to meet that need. That's action. It's not just a feeling. You cannot be merciful. You cannot be merciful without someone knowing its effects because somebody's going to be the recipient of it. Now, you might feel sorry for someone, and sure enough, I mean, we see things on television that make us feel sorry for people, and we hear of accounts, but the fact is, unless there's action behind it, it's not mercy. Are you with me so far? It's two more points. Who provides it? Let's talk about the provider of mercy. God is said to be rich in mercy. Ephesians 2, 4. Titus 3, 5 says that we're saved by his mercy. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 3, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Elios in the Greek language means to whitewash, to cover, to wipe out an impurity, to cancel a debt. Hmm. You see, the provider of mercy is God. He has the authority to give us mercy. We've sinned against him. We cannot earn his mercy. We don't deserve his mercy, but God in his holiness can provide it to us. And so God is the provider of mercy. I want to read what Donald Barnhouse wrote. Donald Barnhouse was a a preacher many years ago. His commentary is an interesting statement. Listen to this. When Jesus Christ died on the cross... All the work of God for man's salvation passed out of the realm of prophecy and became a historical fact. God has now had mercy upon us. For anyone to pray, God have mercy on me, is the equivalent of asking him to repeat the sacrifice of Christ. All the mercy that God will ever have on man, he's already had when Christ died. That is the totality of mercy. There could not be any more. The fountain is now open and it is flowing and it continues to flow freely. God has given mercy to the world through Jesus. You don't need any more mercy available to you than what has already been given by God through Jesus Christ. And the perfect description, our clearest description of mercy is Jesus. Listen to 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might have life. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, he demonstrated his mercy by sending Jesus to come get us, to pay the price for us, to redeem us, to rescue us. He didn't just feel sorry for us. He put action behind it. Hebrews 2.17 speaks of Jesus as a merciful and faithful high priest. I don't know who wrote this, been out a long time, but it said a man fell into a pit, couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person came along and said, it's logical someone would fall down in there. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think that you're in a pit. A Pharisee said only bad people fall into a pit. A mathematician calculated how he fell into the pit. A news reporter wanted the exclusive story on his pit. 
A fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. Confucius said, if you would have listened to me, you would not be in that pit. Buddha said, your pit is only a state of mind. A realist said, that's a pit. A scientist calculated the pressure necessary, pounds per square inch, to get him out of the pit. Geologists told him to appreciate the rock strata in the pit. An evolutionist said, you're a rejected mutant destined to be removed from the evolutionary cycle. In other words, he's going to die in the pit so that he cannot produce any pit-falling offspring. <laughs> County inspector asked if he had a permit to dig a pit. The appraisal district taxed the pit. That was mine. A professor, <laughs> but it's true, and probably raised the appraisal too. A professor gave him a lecture on the elementary principles of the pit, and a basic person came along and avoided the subject of the pit altogether. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. Charismatic said, just confess that you're not in a pit. An optimist said things could be worse. A pessimist said things will get worse. But Jesus, seeing the man, took him by the hand and lifted him out of the pit. You see, mercy offers relief from the punishment. Grace offers pardon for the crime. Mercy eliminates the pain. Grace cures the disease. Mercy came from God, and you and I need to understand that all of us are the recipients of mercy. There's a downward flow from God to you and me. Now, as a result of that, we've been given mercy. Jesus mentions the mercy is reflected through us or the outward flow that we give. You see, the merciful are those who not only receive mercy, but who have also learned how to pass it forward. Now, the most obvious way to demonstrate mercy, to show mercy, is through physical acts, doing something for someone, seeing a need, and then doing something for them. I read of a little boy who was sent by his mom down to the corner store. You know, there was a day when it was safe to do that. I can remember walking to school, a long way to school, and it was safe to do that. But in those days, a little boy was sent to the store to get something for his mom, and he stayed gone longer than normal. And when he got back, his mom said, son, what took you so long? I was beginning to worry about you. And he said, well, there was a little boy down the street with a broken bike who was crying, so I stopped to help him. His mom said, I didn't know you knew anything about fixing bikes. He said, I don't. I just sat down and cried with him. <laughs> now, I want to use the Good Samaritan for a second. Most of you are familiar with the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, if you're not, go there and read it sometime when Jesus was talking about who our neighbor is and what we're supposed to do. But I want to use the Good Samaritan, who's a perfect example of showing mercy. And, and look at what he did and the outflow of mercy and how that can be used by you and me. First of all, there was a notion. You see, the Samaritan saw that man who was beaten and robbed in a different way than the Levite and the priest. The religious guys were too busy to stop. The Samaritan saw him. He saw the need. He, he had a notion. This guy needs help. He's been beaten. He's been robbed. He's been left for dead. He needs help. By the way, it's very interesting. Years ago at Princeton Theological Seminary, 
40 students were giving a short practice sermon. And at 15-minute intervals, the seminarians went one by one to another building to give their talk. On the way over, the students passed a man who was lying in the grass, groaning and slumped over. And six of every 10 seminarians who passed the groaning man went right on by ignoring him. Half of those seminarians were on their way to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. (laughs) Now, you see, we go by people all the time. And if you're going to show mercy, you begin to see the need. You begin to have a notion. The Holy Spirit begins to move you. You know what? I see a need. It's one thing to see it and feel sorry for them. But the next thing that comes is emotion. Because the scripture says that good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 took pity on him, had compassion on him. Mercy and compassion sometimes are synonymous. I mean, it's an interesting word, the word pity. In the the Greek, it it, it speaks of the intestines. It, it, It has to do with the intensity of the intestines. That's why the King James for, it translates it bowels of mercy. Have you ever noticed when you get nervous where it bothers you the most? Did you have intensity of intestines yesterday in that ball game? <laughs> Did you? You see, when your emotions get set, I mean, you, you begin to feel it here. And that's why they believe that the seat of the emotions was right in this area with your stomach and intestines, because that is what usually reacts the most when you get intense. And so here it says he had compassion. Someone put it this way. Mercy begins when your hurt comes into my heart. He was shaken up when he saw the man. He had emotions. He, he saw this guy hurt. So he was moved to pity. He, he had compassion on him, which then led to motion. You see, the, the Samaritans saw the need, felt for the man, and then went into action. The scripture says in Luke 10 that he went to him. True mercy always involves motion, doing something. We're often like the man who was telling his wife about passing a woman in a downpour of rain one afternoon. She was standing out beside her car with a flat tire, standing helplessly by the side of the car. And he told his wife, I thought to myself, how awful it is of people not to help such a poor woman. I would have stopped if I were not on my way to work. We've always got something to do. We've always got something. So we run by people. And Jesus said the people of the kingdom are not takers. We're givers, not pretending helpers, but practical helpers. We're not condemners. We're mercy givers. We are not selfish or self-satisfied or self-righteous. Those kinds of people don't help anyone unless there's something in it for them. But because we came with nothing to offer God and he gave us mercy, mercy flows out of us he had a notion his emotions the motion and then what did he do he demonstrated it with devotion when he said he 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 bound up the man's wounds he put him on his own donkey which meant that the samaritan had to walk while the man rode he took him to an inn gave him two days wages Two silver coins, which was two days' wages. 
and said, I'll pay for the rest of any other expenses when I come back through here. You see, he demonstrated it. Proverbs 3.27 says, if I'm a merciful person, I'll help those who are hurting. Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those who need it when it is in your power to act. It's practical assistance. It's love and action. We don't just feel sorry for someone. We do something. Obviously, you can't do everything. But you can do something. Amen? Amen. You see, I like what, how Ray Pritchard put it. He, he said his help was prompt, thorough, generous, self-denying to his own discomfort and at his own experience own expense if I'm a merciful person I'll help when I can I'll help I'll do something I like the way Adrian Rogers puts it when he talks about the good Samaritan he said there are three classes of people in a community he said first of all there are the beater uppers I want what you have and I'm going to take it from you that's what they did to that Samaritan They beat him up and took what he had. He said, they're the passer-uppers. They're the ones who see the need but walk on by. What's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. Then they're the picker-uppers. They go from notion to emotion to motion to devotion. What's mine is yours and I'm going to help you. Well, mercy flows to us. And then it flows out from us. But then I want you to see this other part. Because mercy then rebounds to us. It's a reciprocal flow. Now, this is the part you're not going to like. Or part of it you're not going to like. You see, mercy, showing mercy is a result of mercy rebounding to us, or it results in that. And mercy has an echo. There's a cycle here. Merciful people are not only merciful because they themselves have received it. The more they allow mercy to flow in and out of their lives, the more it will be available to them. So how does this work? First of all, we receive mercy from God. I've already said that. It's a downward flow, but I want you to think about it for a moment. God is merciful to us by saving us through Christ. And in this beatitude, he said, blessed are the merciful for they and they alone will receive mercy. Just like the rest of the of the uh, beatitudes stated that. It's emphatic. They and they alone will receive mercy. Is he talking about salvation? No. We've already dealt with salvation through the poor in spirit and the mourning and the meekness and the, and the hunger for righteousness. It's not how you're saved. You don't earn mercy. It's not one of those things where God says, well, you give mercy and then I'm going to give you some. No, God's already given you mercy. But here's how this works. God keeps giving you mercy and you're supposed to keep giving it also, you see, a little boy was told by his mom, do not go near the swimming hole. 
And do not get those clothes you have on wet or dirty. The little boy hurried off to school, but as he came home, the it was warm sunshine, and he couldn't help by going by the swimming hole. And, of course, he got a little too close and fell in with his clothes on. Well, he went home with his head hung down in defeat, and he had a riding board like they used in those days with chalk. And he, he raced everything on that riding board, and he wrote in there, Mom, I fell in the swimming hole. I'm sorry. And when he got to the house, he opened the screen door. He wouldn't even go in. He just stuck, he stuck it in there, and his mom took that riding board and looked at it, and she was instantly angry. And in a moment, she peeped outside and saw her son sitting on the porch, his elbows on his knees and his chin in his hands. And she suddenly felt an urge of motherly mercy. So she took her apron and she erased what he had written on there. And she wrote one word across it, forgiven. And the little boy then heard the old creaking door open and saw his mother's hand sticking out with a pad. And when he took the board and he saw the word forgiven, he swung the door open and threw his arms around his mom's legs with big tears running down his face. He had been shown mercy. That is what God's done for you and me. Can you imagine standing before God? You have no defense. We have no defense except Jesus, who's our advocate. We've been given mercy from God. Now, here's what I want you to see. We then reflect mercy to others. I've already said that. Sounds like I'm repeating myself. I am. But here's what I want you to get. I want you to picture a pond. Now, we have Playa Lakes around here, and that's not a great example because there's no source to those lakes. They are not spring-fed. They are um, gravity-fed by the, the overflow of the streets. We drive through it, and then it runs in the Playa Lake. They have connected some of the Playa Lakes, which is a good thing because I remember when it used to flood out here. But, but I want you to think of a pond in the truest sense. It's spring-fed. Then you have the pond, and then on the other end of the pond, the spring or the trickle, the creek, whatever you want to call it, it still flows out. So water flows into it and flows out. God's mercy flows into you. And because of that, it flows out to other people. You with me so far? I don't think you are. Because what happens is that if you dam up your pond, your life, it becomes stagnant. It becomes smelly. You see, that is a perfect analogy what the Bible tells us about mercy which is also forgiveness. If we have tasted of God's forgiveness, then because of that, we're obligated. We're obligated to forgive others. 
to pass that on to others. Don't believe me? Listen to Ephesians 4.32. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, one translation says, put on the character qualities of Christ. Here they are, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Mercy does not hold a grudge. It does not harbor resentment. It does not capitalize on somebody else's failure. Listen to Colossians 3.13 in the Living Bible. Be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Forgiveness feels so right when we are the recipients of it, doesn't it? Oh, it feels so good to know I've been forgiven then why does it feel so wrong when I'm told to forgive somebody else? I'll tell you why. Because you fully have not comprehended all that God has forgiven you. Now listen to me. If you claim to love Jesus and you forever hold a grudge against everybody or somebody, you need to back up and say, wait a minute. Am I really a Christian? Because unless you understand God's mercy and truly understand it, when you fully comprehend it, then you begin to say, you know what, Lord, as hard as it is, I'm going to pass that on to somebody else. But we feel like, well, you know what, I I really wasn't that bad. Let's go back to being poor in spirit when a lot of us think we're about 25% saved before Jesus ever saves us. I was raised in church. I know all the stuff. I'm a good person. I'm a lot better than some of the people in this room. Just look around. (laughs) And so we think when God forgives us, it really wasn't that bad. I want you to think about every bad thought you've ever had. You can't even remember them, can you? I want you to think about every evil thing you've ever done. And if that's not bad enough, let's think about the stuff you didn't do that you're told to do. Now, let's put Jesus up here on this platform. Let's put him in bodily form right here. And whoever it is in your life that you're not forgiven, I want you to walk up with them to Jesus. And then you dare say, Jesus, give me one good reason why I should forgive them. (laughs) No amens. Oh, wait a minute. Can you imagine trying to defend your unforgiveness standing in front of Jesus? That's like trying to talk about a flood in Lubbock around Noah. (laughs) Are you getting the message here? You see, when you really don't comprehend all that God's done for you, then you're going to be a mad and hold a grudge against everybody. I'm not making light of anything anybody's ever done to you. I'm not. Some of you were abused. Some of you have been offended. And if you've never been offended, just stick around here long enough. I'll get to you eventually. (laughs) I will. I'm an equal opportunity offender. Because God's word offends us from time to time. You know what? I don't like this. You don't know what they did to me. The problem is, 
I am limiting the peace in my own life because I've, I've covered myself with a blanket of bitterness. No, Lord, I, I've dammed up my pond. I want you to remember, well, see, God's mercy, God's mercy quits flowing in. You become stagnant. You become miserable. You don't want to be around God's people. You don't like God's word. You don't want to be reminded of your own sins, so you just make all the excuses you want, but you've damned up your own life, and because there's that, there's no peace, there's no joy, there's no anything in your life other than, well, I believe in Jesus. But see, when you extend mercy to other people, the flow begins to happen again. Nobody in here has more grudge scars than I do. I can hold a grudge. I could be a professional grudge holder, so I know one when I see one. I don't quote Robert Schuler very often, in fact, hardly ever, but I'm going to give you an illustration I think is worth noting. I don't agree with Robert Schuler's theology for the most part. But he tells the story, true story, a long time ago about a lady by the name of Bernice Shug. He met Shug when she needed work and they hired her as a housekeeper. She was a lovely woman showering the Shulers with love and poppy seed rolls. But he says that no one knew of her hidden hurt. One day she came to Shuler and said, Bob, I was reading the bulletin and I noticed that you're having a guest speaker next Sunday who was a kamikaze pilot. Shuler nodded, said, yeah, this man's come to Christ. He's got a tremendous story about finding Jesus. And Shug said, that may be true, but my boy was killed in World War II by a kamikaze pilot, and I don't think I could handle it. And Shuler said, I understand. And told her, if you don't want to come, it's okay. You can miss that Sunday. And Shuler goes on to write, he said, the next week the Japanese pilot shared his story. His love and gratitude for Jesus shone from his black eyes. He could, you could feel the love and release that he had found, and people were moved by his testimony. Shuler said, after the service was over, I walked with him back down the aisle to the rear of the church, and suddenly as we approached the last pew, an older woman stepped out directly in our path. She stood firmly in front of the kamikaze pilot, blocked his exit. She looked him squarely in the eye and said, my son was killed by a kamikaze pilot. It was Shug. We all held our breath as she continued. And then she said, I've seen how God has forgiven you your sins. And tonight, for the first time in 40 years, I've allowed him to forgive mine. Will you forgive my hatred for your people? And with tears in his eyes, the young pilot said, Will you forgive me for what my people did to you? She threw her arms around this little Japanese man, and they stood there holding each other, both of them crying, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now... Look at this quickly. We reap more mercy from God. You see, I receive mercy from God. I show mercy to others. And then I get more and I have more than I started with. Isn't that cool? Now, Jesus is not speaking of us gaining our salvation. We're saved by God's mercy. But before 
after we're saved, because we've been forgiven of all our sin, we can forgive anybody for what they've done to us. Two last examples, quickly. I don't have time to read them. Matthew chapter 18. There was a man that owed the king 50 plus million dollars. King called him in and said, pay the debt. He came in and said, King, I don't have the money. There's nothing I can do. Would you have mercy on me? Scripture says in Matthew 18, the king had compassion on him and forgave the debt. Can you imagine going into the bank and you're owing all the money you own your house? And the bank said, it's forgiven. You don't have to pay it. Don't go asking. They're not going to do it. But wouldn't it be cool? <laughs> but I want you to understand the significance of this. Same man goes out on the street on the way home, runs into a buddy that owes him $18. He said, hey, man, where's my $18? And the guy says, I don't have it. Just give me a little more time. He said, no, I want my money. Throws him in the jail. Same guy was just forgiven $50 million. King calls him back in and said, I just forgave you $50 million. You won't forgive this guy $18. And then the king says, throw him into where the tormentors are. I don't know what all that means, but I do know this, that when you won't forgive somebody, you are in torment. Trust me on this. Now, how do I get rid of this? Here's one more more biblical example. In Colossians chapter 1, It says, Jesus has taken the handwriting of ordinances against us and wiped them out. Handwriting of ordinances was what was put on the door of your offense. If you owed money, if you committed a crime, it was pasted on the door. And when that had been paid or you had served your time, the door was open. They took that handwriting of ordinances against you and wrote across it, it is finished. Literally. It is finished. Gave it to you. So you can never be charged with that offense again. Here's what I have to do. Jesus, you've forgiven me of my sin right now. And I want you to know when you forgive or have mercy on someone, it costs you something. They can't repay it. Lord Jesus, since you've forgiven me of my sins, I want you to give me the forgiveness and I'm going to point it in their direction and I'm going to give it to them. And right now, mentally, Lord, I'm going to take the handwriting of ordinances against them and I'm going to write across it, it is finished, and I give them the receipt. Because that's what Jesus meant when, when he told Peter, no, you don't forgive seven times, you give 70 times seven. He meant, Jesus said, every time you think about it, you've already forgiven them. You've given them the receipt. And I'm here to tell you, some of you today need to write out a receipt and give it to the person that offended you. Amen. Or, or the flow of mercy to you and the peace and the joy is going to stop. It's your choice. See, it's a choice. But when you truly understand the mercy that came to you from God, you're going to run to the chance to forgive them. If you don't understand mercy, you may not be saved. Because I'm here to tell you 
You cannot live forever. Some of you may be angry today. That's one thing. But you cannot stay there if you're a true child of God. You can't. You can't. How could you? Let's pray. Thank you, Pastor David. And this week's message, we talked about the principle and the person of mercy. We saw the pattern of mercy's movement in our lives in its notion, emotion, motion, and devotion stages. But we also discovered the all-important concept of a mercy that rebounds. As we receive it from God, we reflect it to others and in return reap even more for ourselves. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.